Welcome to The Gaslighting Effect. I'm Angela, writer, teacher, cult survivor. After decades of being silenced, I'm finally finding my voice. This episode is about the healing benefits of touch. I think most of us know that touch can make you or break you. There is an old study, I think it happened in World War II, with baby rhesus monkeys, where these babies were given to monkey mamas, one that was mostly wire that would feed the monkeys, and one that was made of a soft fabric. And what the scientists guessed was that the monkeys would spend more time with the monkey mama made of wire because that monkey mama had the milk. But what they found instead was that the baby monkeys spent all the time they possibly could with the soft monkey mama. Because touch is so essential for our comfort and for our life, there is actually something called touch deprivation or, um, you know, or touch hunger. I don't know if it's called skin hunger, touch deprivation, which can affect us and affect us poorly. So I grew up in this family. I'm going to dedicate this episode to my father because his birthday is on Monday. My father and I are estranged kind of a long story, a long painful story. Let's just say that there are valid reasons for that. Uh, But it kind of makes sense that I would dedicate this episode to him because of the way that I grew up. So in the home that I grew up in, I know as an infant I was held because I've seen pictures of my mother holding me as a baby and I know that she nursed me it's kind of hard to nurse a baby if you're not holding a baby right but that's really the only reason I know because I have but one memory of her ever holding me as a child my mother is not a huggy person she's not physically affectionate and my father sort of came in Uh, and tried to fill that void. As a child, he was the one who was really more physically affectionate, even though he's really tall and is all elbows and knees. So, as you can imagine, a hug from him wasn't very cuddly. Uh, He would hug you occasionally, but it was always kind of awkward. And you kind of felt like he was just doing it because he was the only one who would. Now, my father had other ways of kind of using touch to bond with us kids. He had this game we all played called Dogpile, where he would get on the floor and, and then us kids would pile on top of him like a dog pile. And we would hold on really tight to his waist and to his neck so that when he tried to buck us off by going back and forth violently, he wouldn't be able to buck us off. This was called dog pile. It wasn't wasn't a feel-good game. You know, it, it wasn't snuggly. 
it was basically hold on as tight as you can so you don't get thrown off violently or he doesn't roll over on top of you. I it, it was kind of it was rough housing. But it was really the only kind of regular physical affection I got from my parents growing up. So just to paint the kind of household I grew up in, you wouldn't try to hug my mother because she was kind of like a porcupine. If you got too close, she was she was going to hurt you. Maybe not on purpose, but, but she had those quills. You know, she was sort of prickly. She had this prickly personality. If you were really upset and you were crying about something, she wouldn't give you a hug. She would say, Angela, go to your room until you calm down. To be clear, I don't think it's necessarily bad to send a child to their room. If the room is actually a place where they decompress, if it's like their favorite place where they have their favorite books and they have their favorite sheets and it's painted their favorite color and they've got their own nice little tent or their music that they love. If there are things in there which are calming to the child, their stuffed animals, and it's made clear that the room is not a punishment but a place to really decompress and calm down, I think it makes sense to send a child to their room. It, it does. I've done that with my own kids. But in my house, that's not how it was. In my house, when you were sent to your room, it's like, I'm banishing you because you have been bad. Because how dare you have these feelings that make me uncomfortable? I don't want to deal with those. You go up into your room until you've pulled it together. And then when you're willing to be happy, then you can come down. That's not using your room as a comforting place. It's more of like Siberia. I'm sending you to Siberia. So I just go to my room and cry and cry and get it all out. And I come down. And the thing about my mother is you couldn't, she wouldn't give you a hug when you were upset or crying or distraught because it was so against her nature. But she wouldn't really give you a hug when you were happy either because why give you a hug if you're happy? And what's the point, right? So it's lose-lose. And really the only point of affection with my parents was my father growing up. We lived in this house where I can honestly say the floors were clean, the floors were swept, the carpets were vacuumed, the shelves were dusted, There were pictures hung on the wall. It was kind of like a museum. You didn't want to break anything. You didn't want to break anything or you would get yelled at or sent to your room. But, but unless it was your siblings, I was, it was okay if I broke my brother by tickling him too hard. You know, it was okay if my two of my brothers picked up my sister by her ankles and dangled her in the middle of the living room floor and called her mean names, that was fine. You know, we were allowed to bully each other. We were allowed to rough house as long as we didn't break anything on the walls or on the shelves. We were allowed to break each other. That was fine. We couldn't break any of the stuff in the house. Oh no, that stuff, that was important. 
and we couldn't get a hug to save our freaking lives. So this is the home environment I grew up in. And so all of us children in this home were touch deprived. And looking back, it's clear that all of us dealt with it a different way. My older brother would take these long baths, long hot baths, and he would actually fall asleep in these long hot baths because he would take them for such a long time. My younger brother, you know how I said my mother was like a porcupine? Well, he found a way to get his needs met with the hugs. Because he would wait until she had folded laundry and she was putting it in a laundry basket and she was walking across the floor before he would come up to her and put his arm around her and actually stop her while she was walking and give her this big hug. You know, I got to hand it to him. It was pretty strategic. She couldn't swat him away. She couldn't really say or do much because she was in the middle of laundry. And this way... He was able to get the physical affection that he needed of just getting closer to her. And she did complain, but you know he did it not when he was upset, but just when he really wanted a hug and she was in the middle of a task. That's how he got his needs met. So I gotta hand it to him. I think that he is less touch deprived than the rest of us. But he was the only one who was able to get away with that. My younger sister had stuffed animals. She hoarded them. She slept with them. She carried them around everywhere she went as a substitute for human touch. And then when she got to be a teenager and hit that boy crazy stage, she had to be, she was able to get her touch needs met through, through dating and through the boys that she dated. She craved affection. She craved touch. She knew she needed it, and she went after it, like her life depended on it. So that was my sister. Well, I was the opposite. When I was in high school, I didn't want to touch anyone, ever. I was actually touch-averse, which is also not normal. So we had these dances that we would go to, church dances. The lights would be down and the music would be up and we would all stand around in these little crowds of mostly girls or mostly guys and we would dance in a circle and then the slow dance would come on and we would wait for someone to ask us to dance or we would go ask someone to dance. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the church dance scene. It's just a bunch of teenagers being awkward. But I was more awkward than most had my hand-me-downs and my bad perm and my you know I had you know pimples and all that which a lot of teenagers have but then on top of that I was so afraid of touching boys in any way I wanted to dance because I didn't want to be a wallflower but the way people danced back in the 90s when I was this age was that the boy would put his arm around the girl's hip or around her waist and then the girl would put her arms around his neck and I couldn't do that it was too scary and it felt too awkward and I didn't want to be that close to a strange guy I didn't know that well so when I went to dance with someone 
they will put their hands around, you know, my hips or around my waist, and then I would put my hands, rest my hands on their hips, which looked really weird. But it was the only way I was comfortable dancing because if I put my hands around this guy's neck, then that would push the front of my body up against the front of his body and that was just terrifying. I couldn't deal with it. So there was this one day that I asked this boy to dance who was in my church. Didn't know him very well, but he was one of the cool kids. Tall, blonde, skinny, very sociable, had lots of friends. So I asked him to dance and he said yes. And the music started, but he refused to dance in this weird way where his hands were on my hips and and my hands were sort of resting on his and there was more space because he found it mortifying. You know, he was a cool kid. He didn't want to dance with some nerdy girl that couldn't even dance like everybody else. So he told me he wasn't going to dance with me unless I did it like everybody else. And he put his hands around my waist. And he was like, no, we're not dancing unless you put your hands around my neck. So I put my hands around his neck. And the front of our bodies just kind of came closer together. And I stepped back a little bit because I felt trapped. Like I was close to this person I didn't want to be close to. And he was like, uh-uh, no, no. We're dancing, we're going to be close, you're just going to have to deal with it. And so it was probably the most awkward, terrible dance I've ever had to dance because he wouldn't let me get space from him. I had to be close with our fronts smashed up together during this whole song because he was too cool to dance in an awkward way with an awkward girl. And I really did feel trapped. I still remember it. It was just awful. And I'm sure anyone watching thought nothing of it at all. But to me, it was kind of traumatic. Because he wouldn't let me back away. He wouldn't let me put space between us at all. So I was touch-averse as a teenager. And when I went into college... I was able to solve this issue of feeling trapped when I danced by taking ballroom dancing because when you ballroom dance, they tell you where to put your hands. They tell you where to put your feet. And there needs to be a certain amount of space between the dancers because otherwise you can't do turns and twists and other kinds of fun moves. So once I learned how to ballroom dance and how to swing and do all those other kinds of fun partner dances, I was never in a situation again where I had to put both of my arms around some guy's neck that I didn't know very well. So that solved that problem. But it didn't change the fact that when I was dating, I was really scared of the guys that I was going out on dates with. I didn't want to touch them. Or, you know, if they touched me, it was, it just, it just felt weird. So, you know, holding hands, I could eventually warm up to. But I didn't kiss anyone until after I graduated from college. 
And I didn't recognize how unusual that was. Or that that in and of itself was a sign that I was touch deprived. My fear of physical intimacy, my fear of getting close to men or touching them in any way. And people would suggest to me, well, why don't you just flirt with guys? You go up to them and you touch them on the shoulder and you tell them how strong they are. And that was just a horrifying thought to me. Touch a guy on the shoulder? Ugh. Ugh. I don't want to touch anybody. I was afraid of touch. So that was how I dealt with my touch deprivation growing up as a child. I became afraid of touch. And I married a man who was not affectionate. He didn't give me a pet name. We called each other by our first names. And while we did do a few things before we got married, we held hands, that kind of thing. We didn't kiss very much. So I didn't really know if we were physically compatible when we got married. And we weren't. I will say we very much were not physically compatible. Uh, he would... We had a king-sized bed, and he would take pillows and stack them in a wall between us each night so that we didn't have to touch. That's the kind of man that I married. And yes, there was sex, but that was really the only time that we were ever physically close or affectionate. And even then, that was not affection. It was... It was, uh, it was not comfortable. There was nothing soothing about it. There was nothing, it was, there was no intimacy, which again isn't normal. It was a lot like having a one, one night stand over and over and over again. Now imagine doing that for 14 years. That, well, that was my marriage. I didn't know that I was touch deprived. I just knew that when the kids came along, they would need to be hugged. And I remember really putting forth an extra effort to hug my children and to hold my children and to be there for my children when they cried because on some level I knew that they needed that and that I hadn't received it. See, I knew, but I didn't put two two and two together that I personally was touch-deprived until after I had gotten divorced and I met my current boyfriend. Now, my current boyfriend is very affectionate. He likes to touch, and he likes to touch in, in a way where we're sitting on a couch and we're both typing, writing, and and our feet are touching. Or I'm cooking and he'll come up behind me and put his arms around my waist. He has pet names for me. Which is really sweet. And he'll come up behind me and he'll just sort of hold me there for a while. And there's nothing uncomfortable about it at this point. But when we first started dating, it was really foreign. I didn't realize that I was touch deprived until he started to move in closer and I had to train myself not to run away 
So we dated for over three months before we kissed, which is not normal. But I was terrified. And he knew that I was terrified. And he cared about me. We were friends first. So he didn't push. He took his time. And it was a gradual thing where we physically got closer. If he ever saw I was uncomfortable, he would back off. So he was the opposite of that kid in high school who forced me to get close when I wasn't ready. (laughs) The opposite. He was tuned into my feelings and he could see when I wasn't comfortable and he would back off. And I wanted to be close to him. So it was really just a matter of time and patience before we got there. But what I found is that there is a certain kind of touch that is very healing that I didn't have growing up and that I didn't have in my marriage either. This is going to sound sort of like a scientific explanation, but I couldn't think of a better way to explain it. It's kind of like this soft, slow stroking that's maybe three to five inches a second. Like if you roll back your sleeve and you sort of touch your arm three to five inches a second and you do it very softly. That's the kind of touching that I was missing. It's very affectionate. It's very soft. And it sort of says, I care about you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be relaxed. And it releases just these happy chemicals because you feel safe when someone is touching you this way, when someone is touching you softly in this stroking way. And I didn't have that until I had what I have now with my boyfriend. I didn't know I was missing it. What I found is that I really had a bonding experience. I really have a bond with him. I think the bond that I had with my parents was not a secure attachment. Because I hadn't really experienced a secure attachment until I started dating Nick. Like with Nick, I know that he loves me. And I know that when I leave and he leaves, that he's going to come back. And I don't need to worry about losing his affection. I don't need to worry about him getting angry at me and throwing a tantrum and treating me like the enemy. I don't need to worry about him trying to make me feel guilty for existing. These were all things that happened in my marriage and that happened with my parents. But with Nick, I'm good enough as I am. And I have a secure attachment with him. He, he touches me in an affectionate way and I feel safe. I feel like he's never going to try and do anything to hurt me. And 
even though it's kind of messed up to compare him to my father, because it is, because he's not my father, and ew, I will say this. You want to feel securely attached to your parents. And I never did. I was always afraid of them on some level. Even my father, who I was able to talk to for many years until I realized that I couldn't talk to him because everything I told him in confidence would just go straight back to my mother. Um, Even my father, I was never sure when he was going to turn on me and get threatening or lay guilt trips on me. And when his love was just going to be yanked out um, at any moment and he wasn't going to love me anymore. You know, he would never say he didn't love me. He would always say he loved me, but his actions said otherwise. And actions are louder than words. They mean a hell of a lot more. So with my parents, I wasn't allowed to form a secure attachment to them. But with my boyfriend, I do have a secure attachment with him. And it I really have to give him credit because he didn't push me and he was has always been gentle with me and he has always been careful and now when I'm affectionate with him or when I'm together with him I want to be affectionate I want him to have his arms around me I want to have my arms around him I want to snuggle. I want to sit next to him and put my legs over his over his legs. I want to touch his feet when I fall asleep next to him. I mean, yes, the sex is there, but the sex isn't the only place where I can get my touch needs met. And that has made all the difference. It's like a completely different way of loving that I did not even know existed until recently just kind of sad but but what I found when I got out of the terrible work situation was that being able to just sit next to Nick and watch a movie with our feet touching was very healing because I knew that he was there I knew that he was there for me And just being physically close to someone while you're going through a hard time is is incredibly healing and comforting because you know that person isn't judging you. So this is a little bit different than my other podcasts about things you can do to heal, but I guess what I'm what I'm trying to to say is that if you have a person in your life that is your person who is physically affectionate with you, it's going to be tremendously healing to be able to spend more time with that person while you're getting over a bad workplace or family situation because it's going to help you remember who you are and that you're lovable and that you have this wonderful person in your life. And it makes all the difference in the world to have a nourishing, loving, wonderful relationship when you're healing. I really can't think of anything else that that facilitates being healthy and feeling good more than that. 
to wrap up this podcast, I'm going to introduce just a little bit where I'm going to go after after we're done with this. I, I think touch is a little bit of a hard topic right now because we're in a pandemic and a lot of us can't touch. We can't touch. And so we're left with touch substitutes. What are touch substitutes? Well, there are a lot of the things that my siblings and I did growing up. Um, having a stuffed animal that you can stroke. Sleeping with a stuffed animal. Wrapping yourself in blankets really tightly can be comforting. Falling asleep with a heating pad on your chest. Stroking, self-stroking and and on your arm or over your heart. Self-stroking can be soothing and can work. Long hot showers, long hot baths. These all can work as sort of touch substitutes if you're touch deprived. They can hold you over for a while. It's not the same as actually having someone in your life close to you that you can be affectionate with. But I think a lot of people right now in this pandemic don't have anyone they can be affectionate with because we can't touch very much. So if you find yourself in a situation right now where you're feeling really touch deprived, I would go to some of those things. Stroking yourself like on the arm softly three to five inches a second. Long baths, hot showers, wrapping a blanket really tightly around you the way you would swaddle a baby. These things can work. They can hold you over for a while. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast now. This season, this season on mobbing is almost over. There's one more episode left. I was going to dedicate the next season to my mother because who doesn't have a narcissistic mother, right? I mean, they have TV shows about narcissistic mothers. We've got Everyone Loves Raymond, for instance. But I... I've since changed my mind. I would like to devote the next season to my father because that's a little bit more of a complicated relationship. Uh, He's my mother's enabler. Faithful to her no matter what. He will stand and have a conversation with you and take your side and listen and be very open to your point of view and take your feelings seriously or so you think. And then he will go and talk to his wife and come back and he's a completely different person. All of a sudden he disagrees with you. He thinks you're terrible. He doesn't understand how you feel. Everything you told him. It's like he can't even remember it anymore. Or doesn't care to. It's like she takes, it really literally feels like she takes over his brain. And there's a word for that being so involved with the person that they have that power over you it's called enmeshment so I would like to to dedicate the next season to my father rather than my mother I think it will be a little bit more interesting because there's a lot there to unpack 
Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining me on the Facebook page called Spotlight on Spiritual Abuse. You can message me there or post. And remember to always trust your instincts. Don't let others tell you how to think.